Great. Thanks, Stephanie. That's brilliant. So, um, here we go. I'm going to talk about the things that Jesus never said, the bits of the Bible he never quoted, the bits of the Bible he ignored purposely. I'm going to talk about the bits of the Bible that Jesus uh, subverted. Um, I don't know if how many of you are old enough to uh, the things that Jesus didn't say. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember Boney M. Do you remember Boney M? Yeah. Even if you're not old enough, you've probably heard Boney M. And uh, one of their uh, greatest hits was, of course, that kind of disco, calypso, reggae type thing by the rivers of Babylon. Do you remember that? Have you danced to that anywhere? Yeah. Have you stood and watched other people dance to it? Well, it's an amazing song, really, and it's based, as you probably know, well, as you may know, it's based on, um, Flick's going to lead it for us there. You know. Have I danced to it? Yes. Thank you, Flick, for that. I, as I often say, I became a Baptist minister for a very special reason, because in the Baptist, dancing is illegal. Yeah! <laughs> You've got to draw the line somewhere, haven't you? You can't know, like, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, Boney M. So here it is. It's actually taken from Psalm 137. You probably know that it's a psalm. And the psalm starts, verse 1, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. And uh, that's all turned into the chorus and the tune, and you can chug along to it, uh, you know, do your dad dance, whatever you like, to Boney M. But here's the thing. There was a bit of it that was edited out. Because Psalm 137 starts with the verse that says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But the last verse of Psalm 137, verse 9, says, Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes their heads against the rocks. (laughs) It just didn't seem to work. So it was dropped. The point is, we all have favorite Bible verses, you know, and then we have ones that we don't like, and ones that we don't quote, and ones that we're scared of, and ones that have been used against us, and ones that have oppressed us, ones that have hurt us. So we have Bible verses we like, and Bible verses we don't, and these days, of course, If you're Boney M, it's easy to deal with. You just leave it out of the lyric. And of course, now we put the Bible verse up on uh, the screen like that. And Stephanie Stephanie illustrated in a vivid way without even meaning to. We chopped the Bible verse off. The Bible reading off. And Stephanie kept going for a bit. So you can, you can start and stop where you like and you can read out, leave out the rest of the context. And of course what people do, and sometimes I do, and I know other preachers have done, is we use a few Bible verses and then you go dot, 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 and then you have a few Bible verses more, yeah? Or have you ever been one of those people who wants to send a friend of yours who is a Christian a really helpful Bible verse and it's got a really good beginning and a really awful ending? And so you just go, you just rework it. And then you feel guilty about it. I went to speak in, um, I went to speak in Oxford one night, I think it was last year, I can't remember, and uh, it, to one of those, uh, in one of those chapels that's been there since the 1400s. And uh, is, you know, it's all very listed. Um, so it was all very nice, and the choir sang, and the dean 
um, uh, said some prayers and things like that. And everyone progressed, uh, processed up and down, and there was um, lots of incense and smoke. It was like going to a heavy rock concert, actually. But you know, <laughs> like, yeah, terrible for my asthma. But um, uh, then I had to speak. But the interesting thing is, before I spoke, the priest, is fantastic guy, did the Bible reading. Now, because it's an Anglican church, uh, you get the Bible reading issued. You know, it was kind of all written down about 400 years ago, which Bible verse you would read on that particular Sunday. And it happened to be a psalm. And so I had to speak about this psalm. And he stood up. Now, because it's a listed building, there's no video projectors. There's, there's nothing. It's just been like that since 1500 or whatever. So he stands up to do this Bible reading. And it was one of those psalms that begins really lovely, you know, it really well. It's all about praising God, etc., etc. And then it gets into the middle bit, which is awful. You know, it's about your enemies being smashed and, you know, put to, uh, put to death and, you know, being shut out of God's presence forever. And then, like many of those psalms, it had a nice bit that went on the end. Do you know those ones? And anyway, he was brilliant. With, no, with the aid of no equipment like this, he simply read the first bit. And then he paused and he said, and now what follows is some rather awkward verses that I wouldn't like to read to you. <laughs> so, so we skipped them. And then he moved on and he did the end bit. So the thing is this. Is that cheating? Well, the point is, no. Jesus did it. Jesus did it constantly. Jesus ignored whole books of the Bible because he didn't like them. Jesus chose little passages that he did like from other books that otherwise he seems to have written off. Jesus took bits of the Bible he wanted to use and then rewrote them. He cut and pasted Bible verses and texts and chapters before the phrase cut and paste was ever invented. And that's what I want to demonstrate to you. But the reason for demonstrating any of these things is never so we get clever. It's so that we live better. And that's what I want to say to you. Jesus um, had some favorite books of the Bible. When I say the Bible, of course, the New Testament was, wasn't written. We mean the Hebrew Bible, which we mistakenly call, call the Old Testament. I think, uh, you know, if we're kind of getting over language, we should get over calling it the Old Testament and refer to it as the Hebrew Bible, because that's more honoring, uh, well, it's more accurate, and it's more honoring to the Jews, uh, to the Jew Jewish race and Jewish people. Jewish religion. It's the Hebrew Bible. It was Jesus' Bible. It was the Bible that Jesus read. Now, not trying to get ahead of myself, the funny thing is, in 2,000 years of scholarship, reading the Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the scholars worldwide still do not know which version of the Hebrew Bible Jesus read. Um, the, the Hebrew Bible, of course, was in Hebrew until uh, just a couple of hundred years before Jesus was born, something called the Septuagint was written, which was a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. 
And that became very famous and was used as the basis for many of the translations that we have today. But the truth is, because we have it, we know that it wasn't what Jesus used. But we can't find any version that Jesus used. The, the scholars never say this, but the truth is, we can't find the version Jesus used because he made half of it up as he went along. And I'd like to demonstrate that to you. But Jesus had favorite books of the Bible. He loved, for instance, the Psalms. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus quotes from the Psalms more often than he quotes from any other Hebrew uh, Bible text. He loved the Psalms and uses them very often. Of course, Jesus, like all Jews, knew the Hebrew Bible up, upside down, inside out, back to front. You know, he really did. That much of their education was around that, as it was for Greeks. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, um, rhetoric and logic um, uh, were, were very much part of the core curriculum, so you had to learn text. Um, so Jesus knew the whole Hebrew Bible, but he uses the Psalms, and then there are other books that we move on to in a minute that he ignores altogether. After the Psalms, his second most favorite book, if you just look through the ones he quotes, uh, his second most favorite book is the book of Deuteronomy. And I'll expect, well, it's the second most quoted book. And the third is Isaiah. He really loves Isaiah. Now, why do I say that the first most quoted book is the Psalms, and he loved that, and his third most quoted book is Isaiah, and he loved that, but his second most quoted book is Deuteronomy. Notice I didn't say he loved it, it's just the second most quoted book. And then the fourth most quoted book is Exodus, he really liked Exodus. Right. And I'll explain to you how we know what he liked and what he didn't like. Well, of course, you're beginning to guess. It depends in the context he quotes it and whether he approves of what it says. Sometimes you'll quote, you might quote Donald Trump, but not approve of the quote. Do you see? So sometimes Jesus quotes things that he deliberately uh, suggests he doesn't actually believe. We'll come on to that. In fact, uh, we're coming on to it in a minute. So Jesus loves these books. And sometimes, I should say, he quotes Deuteronomy re really approvingly. So, for instance, when he's being tempted in the desert, uh, he, says, uh, he says, as he's tempted, it's written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. And that's actually a verse from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, just after the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. He's quoting Deuteronomy and he's quoting it approvingly. But he doesn't always do that. Here, um, here is, a, uh, is a famous uh, passage of Jesus. Here it is. You've heard it said, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I've left that little H, if you can see, in there deliberately. But I tell you, do not hesitate, uh, resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Also, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks for you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And the little H there, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you look up that little H, you know uh, uh, your Bible, it always has those tiny little uh, letters in, doesn't it? If you look down at the bottom of the page or if you click online, you get these three um, 
these three references. Because when Jesus says, you've heard it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, he says, you've heard it said, because most people got the Bible read to them. Most people were illiterate, and anyway, this was before printing. So whereas we talk about reading the Bible, when Jesus said, you've heard it was said, he just means, you've been to synagogue, you've heard one of the leaders stand up and say this and read it from a scroll. You know this really well. You were taught this at school. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and they all knew because it's three times in the Hebrew Bible, in Exodus, in Leviticus, and in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Now, what Jesus is doing, of course, in here, is he's quoting this, but he's disagreeing with it. You've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, and I'm telling you, it's wrong. So sometimes Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and he's with it, and sometimes he's not with it at all. Sometimes Jesus quotes something because he approves of it, and sometimes he quotes the Bible because he disapproves of it. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21 says. You must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule uh, rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So Jesus is quoting this. You must show no pity for the guilty. And he disapproves of that altogether. He's saying, you've heard this. And when he quotes that little uh, clause from it, of course, they understand the whole bit. They know the bit about showing no pity. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is about vengeance. It's about revenge. It's about fairness. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that. It's about graciousness. It's about something else altogether. Um, Jesus had had not just uh, books that he liked, but he liked the books because he loved their philosophy. So in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, Jesus says to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he's quoting there from Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. So he's quoting that approvingly. He's decided what he believes. He's decided, he knows that the arc of history points to justice. The arc of history points to overcoming oppression. The arc of history points to equality because the God of the universe is love. He's saying, if you live this other way, if you live by texts of hatred and vengeance, if you live by texts that are excluding and oppressive, you are living out of sync with the universe. You are living out of sync with the God who is the God of all creation. For the God who's God of all creation says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, and the Hebrew Bible's got some verses in, some texts in, some old books in, that really don't uh, coincide with that. So, for instance, uh, books that Jesus doesn't use. Jesus never, ever, ever quotes the book of Numbers. Because it's too legalistic for him. It's all rules and regulations. It's bureaucracy gone bonkers. We suffer from the same thing in our society today. You get the metrics, you've got the measurement, and all life gets ruled by the measurement and the statistic instead of seeing the person. And Jesus doesn't like that. He never, ever uses the book of Numbers. Two other books that Jesus never, ever goes near. He regards them as toxic. 
I remember actually, I was telling a friend, uh, I was with a friend of mine this uh, week, and, uh, and, and she remembered, I, I went with her and some others to Geneva years ago, when I used to be uh, on the leadership team of uh, what's called Spring Harvest. And we went to, uh, we went to Geneva uh, for some meetings, because one person on the leadership team lived in Geneva, and John Calvin had a church in Geneva. In fact, John Calvin took Geneva over pretty well. That's a little bit shorthand, that's not quite true. People say he took it over, but he set up this kind of new Jerusalem in Geneva. There was still the local authorities. He was always uh, at, at, at odds with them. But you had to go to church. All the shops shut down. You were counted in and you were counted out. You were expected to be at Bible study almost every day. Every, you know, he ripped all of the uh, decoration out of the churches. He painted the walls white. He didn't want anything to distract you from his teaching. And he had a church. He had a church still go see it Calvin's church and at the at the foot of the pulpit there's some steps up to the pulpit it was a Catholic church that they you know they just you know denuded of all its icons and then that you know they made this bland thing and um and Calvin's chair is still at the bottom of the stairs it's called Calvin's chair you can't sit in it it's rope round because it's this kind of relic from 500 years ago so you see this 500 year old chair uh, chair. And these are all hot Protestants that are visiting here. You know, these are people who've rejected Catholicism altogether, but it is a new relic, I tell you. So it, there's hundreds of people queuing to touch the chair, you know, touch Calvin's chair. And uh, I was with a friend of mine uh, called Jeff Lucas. Uh, Jeff, and, and Jeff said to me, Steve, are you going to touch the chair? I said, I am not going anywhere near that damn thing. <laughs> I'm going to avoid it like the plague. I'm standing at the back. I do not want any of that framework uh, infiltrating uh, my understanding. Because it was so legalistic and so oppressive. And there'd be people in this church who you're actually actually refugees yourself from an oppressive regime that's been Bible verses that have been used wrongly. So on to the reading that uh, Stephanie read to us. Actually, Jesus was quoting um, Psalm, uh, no, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Actually, what he's doing is quoting Isaiah 61. Uh, verses 1 to 2, which is why it says this here. Um, it says, unrolling it, the, the, he was handed the scroll in the story, Stephanie told. He's handed the scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he sent me, etc., etc." So here's the problem. This is taken, you do this in any translation of the Bible you like, this is Jesus reading Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. You know, it tells you that at the bottom. This is Jesus reading Isaiah 61 and 62 from the New International Version. But what I'm about to show you is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 from the New International Version. Spot the difference. I'll leave you to spot some of those differences. I'll leave you to read it, and then I'll show you what they are. I mean, off the top of your head, 
Jesus had either had pretty bad eyesight, an awful memory, or he purposely twists the story. I'd like to show you how he does it. So the bits in uh, solid print there in bold is, you know, he starts off well. You know, he starts off reading the scroll. You see, the first verse is exactly the same. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim, proclaim good news to the poor. Um, uh, 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 Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So far, so good. Jesus has got through half a verse and he's stuck to script. Now, you, you see, Stephanie came down and did this brilliant thing. She, she, she came down and said, wow, I like this. And a couple of points in it, she said, wow, you know, just imagine this. This is, a, this is Jesus. He's doing this. He's not actually reading what's on the paper. It must have really annoyed the preacher for the day. Well, you know, it didn't quite work like that. But, so after he's done the first bit, you see, it's different. Jesus says, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, Isaiah 61 said, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom to the captives and to release from darkness the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. It's quite different. Here's what's different. First of all, the middle bit. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. That middle section is quite different in Isaiah 61. And Jesus introduces some clauses that weren't there, like this one, to set the oppressed free. If you see, Isaiah doesn't say anything about the oppressed being set free, but Jesus quite deliberately and purposely reads this as though the text actually said it. Where he got that from, though, is somewhere else altogether. And if you've got a really fancy Bible, it tells you that. He got it out of Isaiah 58, verse 6. Just a little phrase out the middle. Jesus has thin-sliced this, hasn't he? He doesn't bother with the first bit of the verse, the last bit of the verse. He just wants that little phrase, to set the oppressed free. I promise you, that is the text that Jesus is quoting. It's the only time it's said in Isaiah at all, to set the oppressed free. Jesus takes a bit of Isaiah 58 and he plonks it straight into Isaiah 61 and he says, that's what it says. But that's not all he does. The recovery of the sight for the blind he introduces, but that's nowhere, anywhere, in any text. It just kind of sounds like it belongs because... It does belong to the overarching theme of Jesus' life. But it's not some text. He's, got, he's making it up as they all knew. That's why they were astounded at the end. They thought, flip, we only asked him to read Isaiah and he's done something else. And here is the biggest thing he does. This is like cut and this is the cut, not the paste. You've looked at some of the paste now look at the cut. The original text ends with the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus has ditched it. It's gone. Jesus has utterly removed the day of vengeance of our God. You read it. 
he finished with, with, to proclaim the year of God's favour. And they're all going, and the day of vengeance of our God on all those, on all those Gentiles, all those people we don't approve of, all those people who live lifestyles that aren't like ours. Yes, the day of vengeance of our God is coming. And Jesus says no. To, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and as Stephanie read it, it said, and then he rolled up the scroll. Luke's put these words in there purposely. Everyone knows Jesus has left the last bit off and Jesus rolls up the scroll purposely. He doesn't dither and hesitate. He's not saying, now there's another bit I've not put in. He has deliberately edited out what he chooses not to have in. Jesus reads the whole of the text uh, with a deliberate agenda. Here's um, these verses that actually I've written about on the front of the news sheet to invite you to be in human, uh, which is a course that we run uh, and we're running through October. You'll see inside on uh, Wednesday evenings through October. If you're new to the church, if you're not part of a small group, not part of a house group, if you want an introduction to the church, it's a course that runs for four weeks and looks at what Jesus said about love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. I'm sure you know these verses. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And Jesus says this when challenged by a Pharisee. You know, there was the, one of the Pharisees they come to pick on him and then it says and one of them who was an expert in the law I think that's hilarious because they were all experts in the law do you know they mean the law of the Old Testament so this guy wasn't just an expert in the law he was Mr. Superhero expert in the law he was something else he was like university challenged you know and he says to Jesus which is the most important commandment knowing there are ten commandments and Jesus gives this response of course neither of these as I say on the front of the news sheet is a commandment at all there are 10 perfectly good commands to choose from and the Hebrew Bible has set down what the commandments are Yahweh did it he gave them to Moses do you remember that and Jesus says yeah the best commandment here it is love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind C is because that tells you it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is the chapter after the Ten Commandments. Jesus chooses one that isn't a commandment, and he rubs it in by making it from the chapter after the Ten Commandments is finished. And here's the other one. It's really interesting. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you look up the D, you'll find that leads you to Leviticus. Now, there's another book that Jesus doesn't like. I told you, I'd tell you about the books Jesus like. He doesn't like Joshua, and he doesn't like the book of Kings. Did I t uh, uh, he doesn't like Joshua and Judges. Did I tell you that? Okay, Jesus never, ever quotes from the book of Judges or the book of Joshua. He never uses Numbers, Joshua. Uh, there are others as well. I'll leave you to find it out. He never uses Joshua, and he never uses uh, Judges. Why does he use Joshua and Judges? Because they're filled with stories of violence supposedly committed in the name of God. They're filled with stories about go in and pillage this village and wipe out these people and execute those people. And Jesus refuses to go anywhere near these, these books. 
The book of Numbers is out because it's legalistic. The book of Joshua and Judges are not used by Jesus because their agenda is not his agenda. Love mercy. He quotes from Hosea. He quotes those who he believes are in line with what he's got to say. So here's an interesting thing. Jesus is quoting here, love your neighbor as you love yourself, comes from Leviticus. Which is really interesting because if you read Leviticus chapter 18, 19, and 20, it is a list of 28, as I remember, thou shalt not, do not do this, you mustn't do that. If you do that, you're for the high jump. If you do that, you're excluded. Do not do this, do not do that, do not do this. It's, you know, it's the educational system of don't do that. I saw you doing that. Pull yourself up, sit up straight. Get yourself together. Sit quiet. Don't move. Do you know, we've moved away from that kind of understanding and we say it's because we understand brain science. Jesus had moved away from this kind of understanding two millennia ago. So he quotes, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what he's done is thin sliced again. He's picked out one piece of great news amongst a whole lot of do's and don'ts. And that, this is the context. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against someone else uh, among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. Do not make different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seeds. Do not wear clothing worn, uh, woven in two kinds of material. Do you see how Jesus thin slices, not even a verse, just a sliver and he pastes it into what he says are the most important commandments there are that's who Jesus is and that's the way he works so I've talked for long enough let me say this three shockers well two shockers and a bit of music shocker number one there are some people who will always find the angry verses in the bible to, con to confirm their obsession with anger and exclusion. Those verses exist. An attempt to write them out of the Bible, to pretend they're not there, is an attempt in vain because they are there. Joshua and Judges are pretty violent books. Numbers is pretty bureaucratic and legalistic, etc., etc. That is just a fact. And there are people in life who will always pick on those kind of texts and use them almost as weapons normally on other people. Because one of the wonderful things about every branch of the Christian church through history is it's always maintained that it was in the right. It had the best understanding of New Testament theology and the Spirit of God and everyone else was going to get it from God. Have you noticed that? We're always on the good side. But Jesus doesn't believe this. He believes in the inclusion. So, num number one, there are lots of angry verses in the Bible, and there are people who will always default to them. And there are some people who will always find justice and love and the battle against injustice, which will call them through these verses to a greater love of life and a greater love of others. And it's about your starting place. And Jesus had a different starting place to the Pharisees, so he chose different verses. 
It's a piece of practical advice to you all who are my friends. Be careful who prays for you. Be careful who you give the authority to counsel you in church circles. Because there are people who will destroy you. There are. Ask if you don't know someone and trust someone and they want to pray for you or counsel you, ask for their accreditation. Ask where they trained to do this. Because Christians often leave their brains at home when they meet someone, oh, I'll pray for you. What are they going to pray for you? And what are they going to do to you? And what are going to be the consequences of this as you work out the next 10, 15, 20 years of your life? Be careful. Be careful. All theology is a way has to be put into practice. I was talking to a group of people just yesterday and I said to them this, you don't need to be a Greek expert and you don't need to be a Hebrew expert to understand the Bible. Often people say, oh, well, this Greek word means this and this Hebrew phrase means that. Well, if God, if God was really as daft as to create a religion that can only be understood by people who are Greek and Hebrew scholars, it leaves us all out, doesn't it? If the only way of following Jesus is to get to grips with some ancient Hebrew verbs, we're stuck. You do not be able to, able to read ancient Hebrew or speak it or read ancient Greek in order to know this. God is love. And what Jesus is saying, therefore, is any verse, any policy, any doctrine, any dogma, any practice, any behavior, anywhere that doesn't line up with what Anna said at the beginning, God is love and love never fails. And love includes us all. And Nath and the band sang that song. We're not outsiders. We're inside. If any of it doesn't line up with that, you're stuck. Shocker number two. You've just done a session in hermeneutics. There you go. I've just been talking to you about hermeneutics. If I'd have said to you, we're going to study hermeneutics, you'd go, oh, my life. But this is hermeneutics. It's learning to delve behind the text and see the big arc and the big direction, which is what Jesus did. And a piece of music uh, now. Um, the thing is, many of us have had Bible verses used on us to box us in, to control us. You know, loads of Christianity is just a control system. You have to believe this or think this or dress like that or behave like that. And if you're not like this and you're not like us, we disapprove. So much theology, systems of theology, which is why I wouldn't touch John Calvin's chair, is a system of control. All you've got to do is learn about Geneva and the people that they put to death there because they didn't fit in. Jesus talks about love, which is why he will not talk about systems of control and why he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me and he's brought me to announce freedom. And then he uses endless metaphors and some of them arise from the text and some arise from other texts and some he makes up because he's saying, I've come to announce freedom and the end of impression and the beginning of inclusion. I've come to announce the setting free and some of us need to be set free. I don't know who's on the prayer team today up in the corner, whether it's Jerry or whoever, but the prayer team and would love to sit and talk with you if you feel you've spent half your life under the oppression of some Bible text or prayer that's left you feeling shame and guilt all of your life. Jesus has come to announce the year of God's favor 
and the vengeance of our God has been dropped because it was a misunderstanding. And lastly, if all this is true, it calls us to something else. So some of us will go away looking inside ourselves and saying, set me free from the oppression I've known, the abuse. So many people give up on the church altogether because they've been sold some texts out of context. But then others of us here, you are set free. And our task is to work for freedom. This is not a, a leisure cruiser. Oasis Church Waterloo is not a leisure cruiser. It's a battleship. We're all in a battle. We're in a fight. And the fight is to bring freedom to others, which is why Hope House exists and why we need to make it the first, not the last, of what we do in that area. And it's why we run these schools and it's why we do all the things we do. And it's why you're in the job you're in, wherever that job is. And if you can't square the message of Jesus with what you do Monday to Friday, get a different job. Get one where you are serving the values you live by or learn how to bring the values you live by into the context in which you are working. We need good news everywhere. We need good news in the Tory party, the Labour party. We need good news, good news, sorry, Freudian there, in the Lib Dems, Duncan. We need good news everywhere. We need good news in medicine. We need good news in education. We need good news in community development and town planning. We need good news everywhere. Our task is to bring those things. So I'd like to leave you with a song. And this is my friend. His name's Martin uh, Joseph. And uh, he's singing a bit of Elvis. So I thought we'd finish with an Elvis track. And uh, I'd like you to think about this track and think about how you need to be set free or how you need to bring freedom to others. Here it is. <laughs>